He is an MIT-trained chemical engineer and also a soul winner, sharing Jesus all day, every day. His name is Keith Reed. I'm John Bradshaw, and this is our conversation. Keith Reed, thanks for being here. Welcome to Conversations. It's a pleasure being here, John. Blessing to see you again. We have a lot of ground to cover. You have one of the most exciting jobs known to humankind, at least the way I see exciting jobs. But you didn't start where you are today. You started way back there. So let's go way back there. Yes. Where were you born and raised? Where are you from? New York. I grew up in the Bronx in Long Island. And um, I um, had uh, two younger brothers and an older sister and so we um, we worked and um, did had a lot of fun together. Did, were, uh, were you raised in a Christian home? No, we weren't in a, uh, raised in a Christian. So home. no, no Christian frame of reference. Well, we my mother was Canadian, and um, she uh, when she moved to to um, to New York, she um, she had an Episcopalian uh, Anglican background. Yeah, and so the church that was most familiar with. The uh, the Anglican Church was the Episcopal Church, so she I was christened and we would go to church on Christmas and and sometimes uh, Easter and some of the holidays, but it wasn't a regular thing from Sunday to Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was my reference. Yeah. So I think if some a family of kids growing up in the Bronx and and you know I don't know what to think were they rough streets, mean streets, average streets? Was it a pretty typical upbringing or were they? real challenges peculiar to your upbringing or what no not really it was um uh, we moved from from the bronx at, at an early er, i was fairly young uh-huh. when we moved from the bronx to long island okay and so uh, it was actually before my youngest brother was was born and um so in long island i mean i'd walk down the street and we'd have a little pond down there a little park and i'd go fishing and it was uh it wasn't quite like like the Bronx. Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, it was it was fairly sane. Yeah. Uh, well, somewhere along the line, there were some pretty significant changes that took place in your life. But before we get to the changes, let's talk about your um, your, your your academic path or progress. You wound up at MIT, not at, not the school everybody goes to. That is a prestigious school. Yes. You studied chemical engineering at MIT. So how did you get from Long Island to MIT? Okay. Well, my, my dad was, um, he attended Hampton Institute, now Hampton University in Virginia. And he was there for a couple of years, then he went into the Navy. But um, he, was, he had a passion for anything that, that was mechanical, cars, photography, uh, anything that, that, that worked. He, he just loved talking about cars and the way things work. Yeah. And so he would um, have little mechanical drawings and he would show us and how things work and uh, explaining about engines and um, about four cycle engines and two cycle engines. And, you know, typically fathers don't don't do that kind of right. thing. But, but he just he just enjoyed it. And it kind of spilled over into us, you know, and we all had a kind of a proclivity toward engineering and toward math. Most so of us did. Y- y- yeah. Your siblings kind of leaned in that direction as well. Well, yeah, my, my brother followed after me and he went to MIT as well. My mm. sister could have, but she chose to go music and law. Um, my youngest brother, he tried to put on the, the, the engineering armor 
And for the first year, he was he was uh, studying engineering, but he says, no, not for me. Well, so he went toward the arts and, and communications and, and that, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So M- MIT, what, t- tell me a little bit about that, that experience. It, it, it's it's got to be a kind of a heady experience being on an academic institution that is, well, it's world-renowned. I, I expect the academic standard has to be yes. pretty strenuous. Pretty high, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, fortunately, because of my my um, math background and because of my dad and his influence, I did very well in math and science. And in fact, after eighth grade, I had an opportunity to go to another school. I had to be bused from Roosevelt, Long Island to East Meadow, Long Island, to um, to attend a school that offered engineering courses like mechanical, electrical, architecture, um, so I, I took a test and I passed, and so I transferred to this school. Um, I think it was 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Oh. And so I chose electrical engineering. and um, you, you started zeroing in that as a high schooler? Yes, yes. Interesting. Yeah, so doing that along with the arts and music and playing in the band and running track. I mean, it was kind of an all-around student. Now, you didn't have time to get in trouble. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, so it did that, and of course, you know, because of that type of school, having that foundation, and because of my grades, I had, I mean, the, the world was, uh, was open to me. I, I applied to several schools, got a, a accepted to several um, engineering schools yeah. and colleges, and, and MIT was one of them. And look, you mentioned a moment ago running track, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to skip by that too much. So you were an athlete, or was just something you did, or was there ever a moment that you said, you know what, I think I'll pursue track and field? No, never, never got to that point. Okay. I just, I just enjoyed running. Uh, it was Probably a good thing it didn't get to that point. Yeah, it, yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed running. Um, in fact, when I was growing up in in my little neighborhood in Roosevelt, we played touch football all the time. Yeah. so I was a pretty good runner. Yeah. So um, yeah, I did that, and. Um, so, so MIT was one of them. Now, one of my teachers, my high school teachers, told me that um, because MIT attracts a lot of um, really top-notch individuals, you got accepted. But once you go there, you're going to feel like a little peanut amongst a lot of a lot of geniuses, you know. So, I guess his concern was that I would not get discouraged. I would not flunk out. And um, so he encouraged me to go to a, a lesser school oh. where I could be, you know, the top of my class. Yeah. And I understood his thinking, but but um, it affected me. And in my thinking, I was a little intimidated uh-huh. by by MIT. But my dad, because of his his experience and his understanding about engineering and about they always stressed edu- education in our family. You know, um, he would teach us and help us to memorize something that, that um, would kind of keep us going. He said, whatever you vividly imagine, ardently desire, sincerely believe in, and most enthusiastically go after, it must inevitably come to pass. So he had us memorize that. He would say, the word can't should not be in your vocabulary. Before we talk more about you, tell me more about this dad of yours. He sounds like a remarkable individual. Yes. He was, am I, am he, I overstating this? No, or he was maybe an, I'm understating He was an it. excellent father, great mentor, not just to us, but also kids in the community. Oh, yeah? Always asking them what they want to be when they grow up and picking them up in his arms and 
and just telling them that they could be somebody. So where did this come from in your dad? Well, my um, my dad was of uh, Jamaican origin. My mother was Canadian, as I mentioned, but her family's from Barbados. And, you know, with Jamaica is, you know, they do have the no problem, but they also they also teach to to aim straight, keep your powder dry and um, and and, you know, and aim high. So that was uh, kind of his thinking. He did not want his kids to experience some of the same things that he experienced where he was not accepted. I mean, his desire was to go to the film to to be a, a filmmaker. Interesting. Yeah, he loved photography. You should see some of the pictures. We were, we were going through them recently. Um, just professional pictures that he took in his own home studio. But that, but that, that didn't work out for him. Why? Because of prejudice and uh, not having the opportunities. So he ended up um, going into the Navy, ended up becoming a policeman, and a very good one. Uh, he, he went... Um, he became, you know, a uniformed policeman. Then he graduated to a, a detective, a plainclothes detective, and then he got into the nar- narcotics. So he was um, he was very motivated to 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 do well and, and be be the best at what he was doing. So he he did he showed by example yeah. what you can do when you apply yourself. You know, it's interesting that he was deprived of certain opportunities, but it seemed like he was determined to encourage his children to believe that they could just do anything they wanted. That's right. That's right. What a fantastic legacy. Uh, I tell you. Yeah. I mean, I had such a relationship with him. We, we would have daddy and son time, and we'd go into the city, uh, New York, and, and go to sporting events and just spend time together. And I remember jumping down. I used to jump down a flight of stairs into his arms when we'd go visit my grandmother. Uh, of course, one time I jumped, and he wasn't looking, oh. but somebody, somebody told him I was flying through the air, so he turned around <laughs> just in time to, to catch me. But that was uh, the kind of relationship I had with him, and I, he was my hero. And so I believe that later on, it translated to my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Nice, yeah. nice. Okay, let's get back to MIT. There are some people trying to talk you out of it. Yes. You, you, so, you, so you got onto the campus, and you started attending classes, and these, I mean, this is a weighty discipline, and, and it should be too. Mm-hmm. You know, you want your engineers to be strenuously yes. taught and, and very well trained. So how so how how did you do? Was it a struggle, or did you find you just settled into a groove pretty easily? Well, I just want to back up a little bit with yeah. my dad. Uh, when I told him what this teacher had told me about yeah. kind of discouraging me from going to MIT, my dad, bless his heart, he said, "Do you realize what this is?" When when I showed him the the letter of acceptance, we were sitting in the car in the front of the house. Do you realize what this is? So he painted a picture of something that. This is valuable. This is gold. This is yeah. an opportunity that you, you you can't you can't miss out on. So he kind of turned my my thinking around and and said, "Go ahead." You he know. must have been very proud. Oh yes, his head just about must have exploded <laughs> when he had when he had two sons yes. went to MIT. Yes. Oh, fantastic! That's very inspiring. But as far as uh, your question is concerned, was it was it difficult? Yes, it was very difficult. But that leveling course that I took during the summer. It was uh, enabled individuals who did not have the advantages in their high school that other people had. They they had the know-how, they had you know the brains, but they didn't have the some of the some of the you know the things that were available to other other yeah. students. So it was during that summer we took physics, we took math, uh, calculus, uh, I, I believe it was chemistry. Some of the courses that we'd be taking as a freshman, 
So when it came time for the beginning of school, we were familiar with the campus. Um, we had taken some of the classes. So it was, it was just, you know, like, like we, were, we were home again. So my freshman year was, was pretty much a breeze because of that, that, uh, that leveling program. Nice. Yeah, so it was tremendous. Well, today you're very much involved in Christian ministry and in mentoring other Christian ministers. Uh, again, you know, we got there's a bridge we're going to cross here. But let's talk about what happened after MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. By the way, did you enjoy Boston? Yes, I did. Very Great much. city, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fun and, place and to Cambridge, live. Yeah, I rode, rode on the, in the Charles River and, and the crew team. Yeah. You rode for MIT. Yes. This story just gets better and better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you rode. So you rode at MIT. That's just fantastic. Hey, listen. What other surprises do you have for me? I, I was not expecting that. Well, um, martial arts, uh, uh, did martial arts, uh, ran track, as I mentioned, rode on the crew team. Yeah. Played in the jazz ensemble. Oh, you did? Yes. Yeah, what did you play? Trumpet and, flugel, okay. and flugelhorn, yes. Yeah, your, 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 your dad or your mom, too, managed to inculcate into you uh, an appreciation for an enormous array of disciplines. Were you one of these students who struggled to get everything done because you were doing too much, or somehow you were disciplined enough to be able to master it all? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, easy getting right. through MIT, but we had, we had support. We would get together, study groups, do problem sets together, and um, so it made, it made things a lot easier. There were a lot of uh, all-nighters that I pulled um, to get, get some work done and, and prepare for exams, but... Um, but I, I did fairly well. Yeah. I mean, yes. You did then, fairly well. And I, I, had to, I had to do a thesis at the end of my freshman year. Typically, it's for graduate school, you have to do theses. But right. at MIT, it required a thesis for my, my undergraduate degree. So I chose one in material science and engineering because it was practical. Mm-hmm. It was something to do with um, um, preparing or developing paper for a speaker. And... Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I I did a lot of experiments with that. You know, fantastic. Yeah. When you graduated, or when you were approaching graduation from MIT, did did you know where you were going? Did you know what you were doing, or was your future a little uncertain? Well, I I, I was accepted at the Dupont Company. I worked for them one summer. They liked me, and they wanted me to come back. And so, I, as far as career is concerned, I was I knew the direction I was I was going. But it was during my my, my senior year that I began to think about my future spiritually, believe it or not. There were some things that happened to me in my senior year that kind of opened my eyes and helped me to see the need for uh, a relationship with Christ. What can you tell me about those things? You were raised in a, essentially a secular home, a, mm-hmm. a, a strong home, a home with good values. Yes. Where in the world did these thoughts come from that you need to start thinking about your spiritual life? Well, one thing... Um, there was love in my home, and where there's love, there's God. Mm. And so I never heard anybody speaking negatively about God and religion and church. My dad was open to whatever we wanted to to get involved in. I did visit churches of friends. They all seemed the same to me, the different churches. I even had a couple of Jewish buddies, and I attended some bar mitzvahs. But it wasn't wasn't uppermost in my mind in terms of uh, something... That had to be a part of me. But in my senior year, things started happening. It seemed like every day something providential would happen, like we'd call them the divine appointments. Now. Yeah. And it seemed like something would happen that would turn my mind to, to God and religion. And 
um, there was one situation where um, um, uh, one of my drinking buddies, um, I, we had a 24-hour uh, library upstairs in the student center, and we had a 24-hour coffee house. So we'd come down and get our coffee fix, caffeine fix, and then go back up to the library and continue doing study. But one, one, one night, late at night, I met my buddy who uh, I used to drink with, and uh, he was telling me what he was going to do after he graduated. He said he was going to go to the seminary. He's a chemical engineer as well. I said, seminary? Yeah, he said, I'm going to study, study for, for the ministry. Well, I said, why is that? He says, I've been born again. I said, you mean you don't do this anymore or that anymore? He says, no, no, the Lord gave me the victory over that. And, and I just couldn't believe my ears, but I wanted what he had. And so that was one situation. And then there was the Campus Crusade for Christ. They were handing out Bibles, uh, New Testament Good News Bibles on campus. I guess they were literature evangelists. Yeah, there you go. And so I was so ignorant of the Bible, when I took it back to my dormitory room, I I read, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm familiar with that, but but it's in the Bible. And then I would read another book of the Gospels, and um, I found that quote again. It's an interesting. And then um, I would turn to the PTL Club and the 700 Club on TV, and I'd be just drawn by those testimonies of individuals whose lives were changed. And I'd turn the channel, and I'd find myself turning back to that. So the Holy Spirit was working in my, my life, just kind of drawing me. I was searching, you know. I was looking for something better. But, you know, I didn't know what. Fascinating. Were you ever aware that there was a, an aunt or somebody praying for you in the background? No. No. This is, this is a fascinating story, isn't it? About how the Spirit of God reaches out to a young person and prods and draws and <clears throat> invests and there you were, you were starting to reach back. Yes, so I determined that when I graduated, I was going to move to Delaware and work for DuPont, but I was going to find a church home. And that was, that was my, one of my goals, and get a black belt in karate. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about both of those things in just a moment. His name is Keith Reed. I'm John Bradshaw. More from our conversation in just a moment. The idea continues to fill people with dread. People all around the world live in fear of hell. But what did Jesus say about it? What does the Bible actually say about hell? And how can we separate the fact from the fiction? Join me in the beautiful Caribbean for To Hell and Back. We'll go to hell and we'll come back. And while we're there, we'll discover what the Word of God actually says about this vitally important subject. Is it as bad as people think? Maybe it's worse. Or perhaps, perhaps God has a special message in the Bible, enabling us to see the love of God even in the fires of hell. Don't miss To Hell and Back. Brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Conversations, brought to you by It Is Written. My special guest, Keith Reed, an evangelist. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But moments ago, 
there you were at a, a very secular educational institution. I don't mean that in a critical sense. Mm-hmm. Not the sort of place that you would anticipate somebody without a strong religious background would encounter Christ, but encounter God, you did. And you mentioned that once you graduated from MIT, your intent was when you went to work for DuPont in the state of Delaware, you were going to find a church home. Yes. yes. That's, a, that's a pretty big step to take. What, what made you, what, what ripened you to the place you said, I've got to be going to church every week? Well, as I mentioned before, there were things that were happening in, during my senior year. It just seemed like, like God was speaking to me through various situations. And so I, um, and also I was being blamed for things that I was not guilty of, you know, and I think about, as I look back now, it's like sowing to the wind wind and reaping the whirlwind. Mm. And I I was just tired of of that kind of life. And I just wanted a clean slate to start all over again. So, um, so I didn't have a car. So I was taking two buses to get to, to work. But, um, I looked in the yellow pages and found the Episcopal Church. That's the one that I was most familiar with. Right. And um, so I, I walked and hitchhiked my way to church that rainy Sunday morning. And when I got there, um, some nice people, but they invited me to breakfast after service. It was a guest priest who was, who was there. And after, um, after we ate breakfast, he, he lit up a cigarette. Now, I didn't tell you that my dad was, he was back then considered, I guess, a, a health nut. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. mean, he, he listened to health programs. And I, I'd say he believed in the seven natural remedies without yeah. the trust in divine power. So sure. he would always get us to crack our window a little bit so we get fresh air at night. He would watch us when we were sitting down and eating and we start breathing heavy. You know, you're full. You, you don't need any more. You know, How interesting. getting exercise and uh, sunlight and all those good things. And so when I saw this priest uh, after, after breakfast, lighting up a cigarette. It just didn't sit right with me. Right. And so the next week, and there, were, there weren't any young people there. So the next week I was going to go to another church. But in the middle of the week, someone approached me near my apartment complex and invited me to an evangelistic meeting, a tent meeting. And I had in my mind, I, I had been influenced by some friends that, that these black pastors who go into these uh, communities were um, just kind of, kind of keeping the people down, oppressed um, uh, financially and otherwise. Uh-huh. You know, the opium of the people kind yeah. of thing. And so, and then I also had a picture of people kicking over chairs and and foaming at the mouth and tambourines and. And that so, never really that never appealed to you. No. So when she said, "I'd like to invite you to a tent meeting, evangelistic meeting," I said, "No, thank you." But um, but some, one of the strangest things happened. She said, "She said I'm coming at seven o'clock to pick you up," and I said, "Okay," just like that. Just like that. Just like that. And the Holy Spirit must have impressed her that I was searching, and um, and so uh, she picked me up, and she was a single mom with a couple of kids. It was an old Nova that, that she was driving. And to my surprise, when I got to that tent, um, nobody was kicking over chairs. Nobody was foaming at the mouth. The music was beautiful. You know, I was already a musician, so I was attracted to music. And the preacher uh, spoke to my, not only my emotional and spiritual self, but also my logical. You know, I'm an engineer, so I'm, he's, you know, A plus B equals C, you know. And it made so much sense. And so 
I continued attending. And um, then they found out that I had, um, I was taking two buses to get to work, and I basically needed a ride to get to work. So there was a, a lady, an older member of the church, who was also a single mother, who lived up in Philadelphia, and she would pass through where I lived to get to the same place where I worked. That we worked at the same place. Oh yeah, and um, um, she would, uh, she would, she just happened to be the the Bible worker, a volunteer Bible worker for the evangelistic meeting. So I would have questions, and she would answer the questions using the Bible, or or if she didn't have the answer the next day, she'd bring something that was copied or highlighted. And so we were having informal Bible studies on the way to to work, just solidifying what I was learning. On the way to work. Yeah, on the way Isn't to work. Interesting. God knew just what you needed. Yes, yes. Brought the right people at the right time. So that went on, and one day she called me up on the job and said, um, Keith, we're having a baptism this weekend. Would you like to be a part of that baptism? I says, I want to be baptized, but my birthday is like a couple of weeks from 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 today, and, and I, I'd like to, you know, schedule it for then. You know, she yeah. said, okay, so you're going to be at the meeting tonight? And I said, sure, I'll be there. And um, that night, as she said, the, the pastor made the appeal. Um, his name was Fordham, by the way, Henry Fordham. Uh, recently, you probably read about him. Yes, dying Henry in the, Fordham. Dying in the fire there. Wow, how about but, that? But, um, yeah, and by the way, I shouldn't let you say the way that's saying that was tragic. It was. Yeah. He's a yes. fine man of God. I had several conversations with him, and every time I walked away, I felt like I was 10 feet tall, oh, yes, man. yes. This was a man who knew how to encourage you and lift you up. Like, I want to talk to you again. Great preacher and his yeah. wife. I still remember her singing. Uh, Naaman the leopard went down into the water. Wow. He came up shouting, Oh, Lord, I feel the change. Yeah. Fantastic. Beautiful. Eh? So Pastor Fordham was doing the evangelistic meeting, and they were writing the scriptures on the board, and... Um, and there I was sitting in the front row, and he started his appeal at the close of his message. Uh, Brenda Cooper was singing, Will I see Jesus as he is, or will I see him as an angry God? Wow. You know, the music just spoke to my heart. Uh, the preaching, the appeal spoke to my heart. And there I was sitting with this big Jerusalem Bible on my lap, about the size of a telephone book in yep. a major city. And I was holding it as though it was holding me down. And um, I just, for some reason, I, I just... Didn't want to go up there, but I knew I needed to. So finally, the Holy Spirit just, just impressed me. I put the Bible in somebody's lap. I don't know whose lap it was. And I said, I'm going up there. And uh, I felt the peace that, that passes understanding once, once I got up there. But the thing that I'll never forget yeah. was Jackie, the, the Bible instructor. The lights came on in the tent, and uh, she came from the back with a tear streaming down her cheek. And I still get choked up thinking about that. She, she came down, down the front. She said, I was back there praying for you. So those kind of things. You, know, you think of the, the scripture in Psalm 126, He that goeth forth and, and weepeth, bearing, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Yeah. So that's, that is, was indelibly printed on my heart and in my mind. And we, we're still in touch with, with each other. She became a full-time Bible instructor for, for a conference and um, got paid for doing something that she was doing voluntarily. What and, a fantastic And she experience. showed up at our wedding, too. Yeah? Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So you were living in Delaware. You, you, you were baptized. You became part of the church. You ended up becoming a worker in the church. And after all, after all the, 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 the years of study and, uh, I mean, look, 
that's a great achievement. You achieved some fantastic yes. things academically, just not run-of-the-mill stuff. This mm-hmm. is outstanding. But you ended up deciding to transition away from a career in chemical engineering, working yes. for one of the, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say, one of the world's premier companies. Yes, DuPont, yes. Mm-hmm. To enter into a, a profession that was decidedly less certain and... Uh, Tell me how you made that decision. What happened? Well, and by, and by the way, you, you ended up in literature evangelism, which yes. is a magnificent work. But you could end up in something a whole lot more stock standard and predictable, mm-hmm. such as pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. So there was something about literature evangelism and the call of God on your life that enabled you to say, I am going to transition out of... Mm-hmm. This magnificent career, and do something that my father might think is crazy. Yes, Let, let's cross that bridge now. Well, you know, I when I when I joined the church, accepted Christ as my personal savior, I hit the ground running. Yeah, I joined the choir. I joined the quartet. I went door to door doing community work, and every time, as far as possible, when the doors of the church were open, I was there, and so I just was falling in love more and more with Jesus. And um, I, I began to see how maybe I could fit in and, and get involved with evangelism and helping people to experience what, what I experienced. So my job transferred me from Delaware to, to the New England area. And um, it was more um, marketing with engineering plastics. Okay. So I would, I would visit the customers of DuPont and I would service them and provide technical service, provide um, anything they needed. If, if we needed some of, the, some of the, the heavyweights from the company to come up and see them, then uh, I would arrange for that. I would take them out to lunch, take them out to breakfast and dinner and hockey games. Just, you know, they gave us a budget for that. They gave me a company car, an expense account, so I could do those kind of things. It was a, Gravy, not gravy, meaning easy, but it was the ideal job. Yep. Working from home, setting my own appointments, and not having really to report to the office, but maybe two or three times a year down to Wilmington. So I was my, my own boss, and I had pretty much um, all, of, uh, all of upstate New York. And um, so that, that was, that was, my, that was my, my work. But I, I began to... Um, I found a local church there in Connecticut, and I got, more, I got involved there, just like I was down in, in Delaware. And the more I got involved in seeing evangelism, attending evangelistic meetings, I wanted to take some time off to, to experience that, to, to give Bible studies, to, you know, f- like a full-time, full-time, you know, maybe six, six weeks or something like that, yeah. or, or a couple of months or something okay. like that. Tried to get a leave of absence from DuPont, but they wouldn't allow me to get a leave of absence to do Bible work. <laughs> and so uh, they hadn't had that request very often, by the way. No, that was not a at new all. one for them. Not at all. So, uh, so th- just this longing desire inside of me to do full-time evangelism kept growing. It got to the point where I didn't want to go out and and work anymore. I mean, it, it was the struggle to get out and go because my my heart was in the Lord's ministry. So I talked to my pastor uh, there at the, um, 
the faith church in Hartford. It was Jonathan Thompson was the pastor at the time. I said, I, I believe God is calling me to full-time ministry, but I don't know what. And so he began to, to delineate the different kinds of ministry. You become a pastor, you can become a teacher at one of our institutions, you become a Bible worker. Then he described literature evangelism. My heart just kind of burned within me. That's, is that right? That's what, I, that's what I want to do. I was already kind of in marketing. You know, I was on there the road go. a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so it just seemed to fit perfectly with, with what, what I, I had been doing. And my dad was kind of an entrepreneur, too. Even though he was in the police department, he did some other things. He got involved with different, um, different kinds of, of work that involved, um, you know, running his own, his own business. And so I saw him getting involved with that kind of thing. So some of that probably rubbed off uh-huh. as well. And so I battled with that for a whole year, trying to, trying to decide, you know, what am I going to do? And so I wrote letters to, uh, to Jackie, who was, you know, she was now in, in a different state somewhere. Yeah. And I said, this is what's happening in my life. She wrote me some things. Henry Wright, you probably heard of him. He was oh, sure. down at Oakwood at the time as yeah. a professor. I wrote him because I had met him before. He was going to be an engineer, too, before he went into the ministry. So he could relate to what I was going through. And I put all this together. I took a day off from work, went out to a park and prayed, and just impressed that it was time for me to leave DuPont and to go into full-time ministry. So that's I put in my notice. They wanted me to reconsider, to get off the, maybe you're on the road too much. Maybe you want a, an office job. And they, they gave me different, different options. But I says, no, this is, this is, uh, and I would tell them ministry. I didn't, I, they wouldn't understand selling books. Right. Uh, doing canvassing. I'm just going into ministry. And they finally said, well, it seems like you got your mind made up. And I put in my, my notice and, uh, and I left. And uh, so I had to give up the company car. Right. I had a mortgage, and um, and I didn't have a car. So, um, but there was public transportation. All right. And I believe that that God had called me to this work. You know, um, when when the pastor told me about literature evangelism, he said you can go to the conference office and talk to the conference president, and um, maybe he can help you out there. It was a Friday. I didn't know they closed at noon, so I got there right about closing time. The conference president was sitting uh, in the lobby, and I told him why I was there. He said, well, the publishing director, he's, he's probably, he may have left already, but go up to XYZ floor, and you might, you might find him there. I pressed the button for the elevator, it opened, and it was the publishing director. We went back up into his office, and he explained more about the literature ministry. And, and where was this? What city this, were you in? in? That was in Queens, New yeah. York. Okay. That was with the uh, Northeastern North Conference. Northeastern. Yeah. yeah, and so it was just... Every step of the way, it was just kind of sealing the deal, yeah. you know. And you and you sensed that. Oh yes, yeah. yes. I, I believe I believe that God had called me to the literature ministry. Okay, now take about two minutes here. We've got about two minutes left for now, and explain the literature ministry, literature evangelism. It's not something that is something new. It's been around. I discovered later on, after becoming a literature evangelist, that there were literature evangelists during the Reformation. Martin Luther would not only preach, but he would do his writings. And monks who were converted to his teachings would sell some of the pamphlets and right. booklets that, that, that he wrote. 
So they were called bowl colporters. The word colporter is like a, a peddler, someone who peddles books. And but nowadays we call it literature evangelist. So it, it, it's something that that helped to to stir the the, the flame of the Reformation. And um, so it continues today. And so it's basically going house to house, person to person, and giving them an invitation to purchase books that will point them to Jesus. Children's books, like the famous Blue Bible Story books that you oh, yeah. many people see in the doctor's office. Sure. Health books, and then adult reference books as well. And so we would present that to the individuals, make an opportunity, give them an opportunity to purchase them, and come up with a payment plan that would, so that they could purchase the materials. What did your dad say? Well, he told me that, uh, Keith, whatever you have put your hands to, You've been successful. I later found out that he was upset, but he didn't let me know. He didn't tell you. He encouraged me wow. to do what I was doing. Wow! And when I would come down to Queens to, to, to pick up books, to take up to, to my literature evangelist, he would see my car laden with, with books, and trunk, uh, the back seat, the front seat. And he said, that, I mean, he had to admit that, that something was happening. You're being successful in this work. And, and you, you met with success initially? Oh, yes. Yes, I did. I did. Fantastic. Yeah, I, did, um, I didn't know my canvas, and that's, that's a no-no when it comes to literature. Evangelism. That's right. But the district leader had such a large territory, upstate New York and all of New England. Wow. He had very little time to, to train me. But again, I knew I was called. It's like a marriage, you know. Um, you know that God called you and that, that he is going to make a way. And so... Um, so he came down and worked with me a few times. He was trilingual. He spoke uh, French. He was Haitian. He spoke fluent Spanish, and he, he spoke broken English. And so I saw him give a couple of canvases in Spanish, maybe one or two canvases in English. And But I saw his body language, the way he dealt with the people, and I learned from that. But I would have to say that the Lord taught me literature evangelism. And I was writing receipts on the wrong receipt pad. The book, the, 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 the order form that you use to order your books for your inventory, I was writing receipts on. That was my receipt pad. But the Lord, in spite of my mistakes and fumbling, the Lord blessed tremendously. And within six months, I, I was promoted to district leader for Fantastic. Northern New England. And that's what God does. You know, you may not have all the dots in the right place or yes. the T's crossed just perfectly. God's looking for willing heart, teachable yes. spirit. Somebody's ready to put themselves out there. Literature evangelism stories are the best stories. So I'm going to give you a moment to think about some great LE yes. stories. They're so inspirational and they're miraculous. Amen. He's Keith Reed, one-time engineer. Well, perhaps you could say once an engineer, always an engineer. But now God is using Keith to engineer some of the most magnificent encounters of the Holy Spirit that you can imagine. We'll be back more from our conversation, brought to you by It Is Written, in just a moment. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. 
itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Conversations brought to you by It Is Written. My guest is Keith Reed, who is a literature evangelist. As a matter of fact, he's a leader of literature evangelists. And we've talked a little, Keith, about what literature evangelism is. It's giving people the opportunity to purchase books that are going to point them to Christ. And you've been doing this a while, and you've been teaching people the art for a while. But being involved in Ellie work means that you have heard some of the greatest stories ever told of of divine appointments and fantastic encounters. They're inspirational stories. All right, let's go. Yes, yes. I I remember one one situation where I was on the cash program where you you don't deliver the books until the customers paid for them. So we'd go back and we'd collect. And I still remember kids saying, Mommy, it's the Bible, man, you know. And just uh, you build relationships in in that kind of setting. And uh, there was one lady, I just could not contact her. Um, She made a down payment. She ordered the books. But I just couldn't reach her. I would knock on her door. And sometimes people just don't answer because they don't have the money. But finally, I, well, my my policy is, or or it has been, that until they say, no, I I don't want you to come back anymore. I realize there's a great controversy going on. That's right. That the devil doesn't want them to get the books. The Lord wants them to get the books. So I'm an instrument in God's hand. And so I'm going to keep trying because they're on life support. You know? Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, I'm going to keep trying until they say, I don't want any more. So um, finally, she answered the door. She finished paying for the books. I still have this picture in my mind of her holding the books to her chest and saying, thank you so much for not giving up on me. Nice. That is, that was so precious. That's rewarding, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. And then the experience is, one of my favorite books was, uh, is is Acts of the Apostles in the Bible, but also the the book Acts of the Apostles um, by E.G. White. And um, to me, that was just full of adventure. Sure. And I believe that my work was a continuation of the book of Acts. And so, again, in the beginning, I did not have a vehicle. And so I would walk and, and catch buses. I had um, limited, I would limit my territory to two uh, apartment complexes, very large. Back then, we call them the projects, mm-hmm. you know, low income. Um, but there are a lot of units. So I could just get there and walk from, from house to house. And so um, I remember, um, you know, I... I believed what I was reading in Acts of the Apostles, that we have the power of the Holy Ghost with us. And dogs are not the friendliest creatures to literature evangelists. Mm, right. And so I remember having a dog coming after me, and his intentions were not good. And I said, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. And uh, the dog turned around and ran with his tail between his, his legs and he yelped like somebody stepped on him or something like that. <laughs> so and, I'm not laughing at the dog's misfortune, please. Please yes. don't think I would do that. But it was, uh, it was tremendous to see that. And then there were times when I, would, I, I had an appointment, I had to get to my appointment, but the bus wasn't running according to my schedule. It was in the evening, and hard for anybody to really see me. I'm walking down the street with a briefcase. A gentleman stopped to pick me up. He had passed me, and he came back around. He said he was impressed to stop and pick me up and take me to where I needed to go. Wow. Just little things like that just just, just showed me that, that God was, was with me and he was helping me. There was another situation where I was in, a, in an apartment late 
it was beyond the time that the buses would run. And so I, I realized I had a long walk back home oh. with my briefcase. And I carried a lot of stuff in my briefcase. Yeah, these heavy. briefcases, they're, 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 it, it, the emphasis is on case, not brief. <laughs> That's right. It's yeah. a sample case that opens from the top. Oh, you know? yeah. So I'm coming out of the apartment, and there are a group of, of guys over on the other side of the street, and um, they're just kind of congregated together. I'm from New York, so that, smell, that spells trouble, you know. Um, nothing else to do. And so I heard, uh, I'm walking away from them toward the corner, and, and I was going to make a left, and, and I heard, yo, like that. And I'm thinking, uh, yeah. I know they're talking to me, but my name is not yo, so yeah. I'm going to keep walking. And hopefully they'll they'll give up, you know. Yo, you with the case. So I knew, All right. Uh, that's me. That's you. And so I remember reading something about the Titanic and how if the Titanic had gone straight into the iceberg, it would have broken the ice and, and it wouldn't it would be unscathed. Um, instead it tried to avoid the iceberg and it tore a hole in the side and the mighty Titanic sunk. So the Lord impressed me to walk toward the iceberg and go straight on to the, those that group of young people, probably about, I don't know, eight or ten of them or more. So, uh, so I'm walking toward them, and um, they start spreading apart, you know, whoa, whoa, and pointing to the one who was doing all the talking. He was the one. He was the one, they would say. And so I approached him, you know, straight faced, you know, then I, then I smiled and I stuck out my hand. I said, this, uh, I'm Pastor Reed or Pastor, yeah, Pastor Reed and shook, shook their hand. And, um, from that, from that point on, they were my friends and my protectors when I was in that neighborhood. Come on, really? It was just tremendous to see how God worked. And, yeah. Yeah. To move upon them. And then, um, uh, I, um, uh, I was not doing literature evangelism at uh, at a time. I was actually doing some outreach for for the local church that I was part of, and um, we were just to knock on doors and generate Bible studies because there were going to be there was going to be an evangelistic meeting down the block in the, in the neighborhood. So um, we we knocked on one door. It was a Filipino lady with with two kids there or three kids, and she said she had been praying that she was looking for a church and she said and looking for for bible studies and she said the next person who knocks on my door i'm going to study with him and 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 we were the next and people who knocked on the door. so we gave bible studies to her we invited her to the evangelistic meeting she was baptized her kids were not baptized right away but eventually they were uh, at some point um, she got word that her dad was sick unto death back in the philippines mm. so she ended up going back to the Philippines with her family. In fact, I drove her down to New York to um, spend the night at my parents' house so that we can get to the Kennedy Airport mm. or LaGuardia, wherever, whichever airport it was. Yeah. And um, she f- flew to the Philippines. She ministered to her family, and there were no churches in the area, no Seventh-day Adventist churches. So she invited the, the church uh, leaders from, from the next town over to come and do some evangelistic work in that area. They, they did an ev- held an evangelistic meeting, and as a result of that, 50 people were baptized, oh, well. and many of them were from her family. And so just that one individual who prayed, Lord, the next person who knocked on my door, I will take bi- Bible studies from them. And that Bible, Bible studies led to 50, 50 more souls. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. Tremendous experience. Yeah, it? yeah. Yes. So you had to found, found this very faith building. You, you, you're selling books. That can be up. That can be down. Yes. It could be up and down. It could be all sorts of things. Yes. There cannot be an Ellie alive, a literature evangelist alive, who has not had discouraging experience. Mm-hmm. How did you get through those times where you thought, wow, man, did I ever, did I choose the wrong career here, or it's been a lean week, or I'm not selling books? How do, how do you get beyond maybe some discouraging experiences? Well, again, just like in marriage, I remember how the Lord brought my wife and I together. It was so providential. I mean, it was, we got confirmation after confirmation after confirmation that this is what the Lord wanted, that we were supposed to be together. So whenever we go through hard times, we remember that the Lord brought us together. So he's going to get us through this challenging time. And, and it was the same thing with literature evangelism. I felt that God had called me to the work. There you go. And so quitting never entered into my mind. And I believe that God would provide. He's a big God. And, uh, so, yeah, there were times when things were a little slim uh, financially, but the Lord always took care of us. I was the sole breadwinner. My wife was was uh, homeschooling at the time. So there were times I had a four-day week. Um, so I was working Monday through Thursday, long hours. But there were times that I'd come up to Thursday and no sales. And um, I would have a little three-by-five spiral notebook that I would record my mileage, but I would also record my experiences on there. So that, to me, was my canvas. It was blank at the beginning of the day, but at the end of the day, I would have experiences and, 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 and other things that I would write in there. So now, my canvas is blank. Um, no, no sales Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, maybe some promises, but <laughs> we've got to put food on the table. Yeah, that's right. So I, would leave, I left a little bit earlier, and I prayed a lot more. And we'd go out, and the Lord would richly bless. And often, it's that 11th hour customer. That's right. You know, your last door of the day. And the Lord just opens up the floodgates. It's it's almost like he's saying, I'm I'm rewarding you for your faithfulness, for enduring to the end. I could have quit any any time, any part of that day. But, um, But he kept me going, and um, he just, he just blessed. It reminds me of the story, have you caught anything? No, we've toiled all night. Yes. Well, why do you just throw your nets out there? Well, mm. No. One more, one more door. All right, we'll give it one more shot because you've said so. Yes. We'll throw those nets out. So many fish, it just about, yeah. they just about sank two boats. Yes. Yeah, yes. fantastic. You must then have an unshakable confidence in the, the primacy, the importance of the written word. Yes. Because it's still, this is still about getting a message into somebody's hands so they can, it's a pretty old-fashioned thing, the whole idea about getting a book into someone's hands. What's so unique or so important or powerful about the written word, exposing people to the written word? Many times you sell a book, you know these people, they love it, they want it, I'll wear it. Other times it's like, well, yeah, we'll we'll get us a shot. It's not like everybody's, it's not like everybody who buys is dying to read. You, yes, you understand what right. I mean. Mm-hmm. So, so what is it about the written word that has a power about it that you, that, that, to the extent that you want to see people experience that power in the written yes, word? Yes, yes. A, there's a Bible promise in Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth yes. out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, 
but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereto I sent it. So I've got that promise. And I remember a sermon by a, a, a well-known preacher. He, he entitled it, uh, Guaranteed Seed. Mm. And uh, so I believe in that promise. I believe even if that book just sits on the shelf for a while, somehow, some way, the Lord is going to work it out for that individual to read those in, in th- that information at the right time where have, they, they need some have, encouragement. Have you, have you heard stories like that? Well, uh, your story. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's a good story. That's right. I'm a minister of the gospel today because of somebody sharing literature with yes. me. Not yes. once, not twice, but three times. Many years after the first time I received that book, I read that book and my life was changed. I was just preaching at a, at a church in Alabama not too long ago. And I quoted that statement that sometimes literature will be sitting on a shelf, maybe collecting dust, but something will will happen in their life where they will pull that book off the shelf and they'll read it and they'll get to know Jesus. And uh, after service, I was shaking hands with the with the parishioners and and one lady said, what you talked about was my story. She said, a couple of young people came to my door and gave me a great controversy book. And I looked at it. I said, I'm interested in history. I think I'll, I'll keep this book. And she tucked it away in the attic. She had some family problems, uh, divorced, went through, moved from, from Arizona or Colorado, wherever it was, to the east, to Alabama. And um, she decided that she's going to clean the attic. 34 years later, she finds that book, The Great Controversy. She read it and accepted Christ, and, and her life was, was changed. 34 and years still later. On, still on fire. How fantastic is yes. that? I have a friend who was raised in Washington, D.C. He was fossicking about in the attic one day. He said to his mother, Mother, what is this book? She said, oh, that book. And I bought it from someone who came to the house years ago. I believe it was Bible readings for the home. And he took that book down, read that book, went to a Christian college, became a minister of the gospel, and is a university professor today. Wow, tremendous. Yeah, she got the book, never read it. Her son found that book changed his life mm. and many other lives besides. Yes, yes. There's, there's, there's power. There's power. Let me ask you, we don't have a whole lot of time, but one or two or three books that you would recommend, you've got to read mm-hmm. this book or these books. What would they be? Desire of Ages, Great Controversy. And I've, I've learned to appreciate the Old Testament more. Yes. I'd say Patriots and Prophets, those, those three books. Patriots and exactly. Prophets, Desire of Ages, and Great Controversy. It tells you where we've come from. It, 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 then Desire of Ages deals with the life of Christ and great controversies is where we're going. Yeah. And uh, powerful books, powerful books. Okay, there's somebody watching us and, I don't know, maybe a chemical engineer, could be a bus driver, architect, school teacher, accountant, horse trainer. And they've listened and they've said, man, God is speaking to my heart. Maybe I need to be involved in Christian ministry. Maybe I need to be involved in literature ministry. What do you say to that person, that person who's thinking, man, I need to at least explore this and find out more. How does a person do that? Well, I would first tell them that God is still calling people from the fishing boats and the fishing nets to full-time ministry. And um, so this Holy Spirit is still working on hearts. And um, the work needs to, needs to be done. And so he's, he's looking for recruits, for disciples. Right. And so I would direct them to the promises of, of God. And um, I would also encourage them to contact their local church leaders to find out about it. Some people are called to sell literature, 
and others are called to just distribute literature sure. to, to keep some tracks or books in their pocket or purse. And so that's one of the things that we promote there at the Southern Union is total member involvement. Every lay person getting involved in the literature ministry by, as you interact, we call it evangel living. You go to the, you go to the grocery store and you're checking out. You you leave a track with them, or you go to the gas station and you leave some tracks wherever you go. Just carry them with you, and um, so that's one thing that every member could do. But as far as selling and making it a career, a calling, then um, contact your, your local. Uh, publishing director or local church leader for that, and they will help you to to get started. So how do you see the future of literature evangelism? Bright future? Oh, I think the best days are ahead of us for literature evangelism because people are looking for answers. With all this turmoil that's going on in the world today, they're wanting, they're wanting to know the answers. So we've had literature evangelists who've had their best years ever during these last couple of years. Mm. One, one individual, he, he generates leads by, by uh, setting up his, his table and his booth at county and state fairs. Yeah. And he makes these balloons. And he says, hey, you want a balloon? You know? So the kids come, and then the parents will come as well. It says, um, hey, Mom, while uh, I'm making this balloon for your son or your daughter, why don't you uh, take a look at this and fill out this little card for a free drawing for one of our, our set of children's Bible storybooks. And so he'll generate a hundred leads in a day, and he goes and he visits them, and and he's, he's just having a tremendous time. People are looking for answers. It's it's the best time. I and really. And we've got the answers. Yes. And the printed page, that's the answers. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. There's one thing about a book: you can read it and get upset with what you read, and you can throw it up against the wall, and and uh, but you pick it up the next day, it'll say the same thing. You throw me up against the wall, I may not say the same <laughs> thing. <you know? laughs> Yeah, how very true. With that, hey, thank you very much, Keith Reed. This has been great. I've enjoyed it. Your story's been inspiring to me. I feel energized and revived. And no doubt countless other people too. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. And I appreciate your time. Thanks for being part of this. He's Keith Reed. I'm John Bradshaw. This has been our conversation. Conversation. 